All right, everybody, welcome to the Pop Anime Comics Lounge, where I have comic writer and artist Chris Giarusso, creator of Mini Marvels and G-Man, along with working on many comics. So thank you for being on my podcast. Thanks for having me on. So now, many of my listeners, and I'm sure many of your fans, want to know, how did you first discover your artistic abilities? When I was a little kid, I basically copied everything my older brother did. So when he was drawing, I would just try to draw just like him. He was very good at drawing, so he was kind of my first art teacher. And that's when I knew I kind of had something. When I got to school and found out, like, oh, I'm a little bit better than this than the other kids. So I guess that's where it started. And now as an artist, obviously your brother was a major influence on you, but were there any other influences growing up? I read every comic strip and comic book that I could get my hands on. Started with newspaper comic strips, because the newspaper was always in the house. So you had your daily Peanuts comic strips and Garfield and Marmaduke and Blondie and Nancy and read the whole thing every day. And eventually it transitioned into full-fledged comic books and I got into all the superhero stuff too. And now, at what age did you start reading comic books? Probably nine or ten, like the real comic books, like with superheroes in them, that sort of thing. I was reading Peanuts comic strip collections probably since I was five or six. And now, when did you realize that you wanted to draw and write comics? I always had an interest in it, but I never thought I was talented enough to seriously consider it. It wasn't until I was 21 or 22. I was still in college at the time, and I started drawing comics for the school paper because I hadn't really practiced most of my life. But I picked it up again there. And I realized I really want to try and pursue this because I didn't want to do what everybody else was doing. I wanted to have fun. And it was around that time I applied for an internship in Marvel Comics, which I landed. And so I worked an internship in Marvel in 1997. And that kind of got my foot in the door and gave me a lot of opportunities. And now speaking about your Marvel internship, how did you go about applying and what were some of your responsibilities? Well, the application process at the time, I found out there was an article in Wizard Magazine that mentioned, here's the woman in charge of internship program get hold of her so I think I wrote no I actually showed up at the office and I asked to talk to her and she gave me a form to fill out and I sent it in and then they called me I had an interview and they picked me which was cool what I did when I was there as an intern was a lot of just grunt work this is also before they were emailing stuff I think they had email but they weren't sending files back and forth through the internet so they're still mailing everything so the pages would come in and I would take the original art and make photocopies of them and then I would take photocopies and send stacks of them to the penciler, send a bunch of them to the inker, to the colorist, so everybody had every stage of the book photocopy form, so they at least had a reference, and I guess backups in case anything went wrong. So I'd make photocopies, I'd put them into packages and send them to the mailroom, and basically just sit there and wait for them to tell me something else to do. Nothing glamorous. And now you wound up eventually working for Marvel. How do you feel that your internship really helped to kickstart your career? It completely kickstarted my career, because I met the people there that eventually hired me, and while I was an intern, I actually showed everybody who was willing to take a look at my comic strips. I showed, here's my cartoon drawings, what do you think? And there's some people didn't want to spend any time on me, but other people were happy to get feedback. And I listened to all of it and did my best to apply any kind of advice that they had. As an intern, I got published in the letters column of a What Is comic. You know, I didn't get paid for it or anything, but the guy that I interned for, Kelly Corbett, he said, hey, if you want to make a little comic strip that fits with the theme of the book, and we'll stick it in there. And they did. And that was like the coolest thing in the world. At that point, I felt like, wow, this is the bucket list. I actually got a comic strip printed in a Marvel comic. That's all I ever wanted, and I've done it. After that faded off, I wanted to do more and more. So at the end of my internship after college, they hired me on in the bullpen, which is production work. And I wasn't just photocopying and sending off. I got to make scans of the art when it came in, and I would format, and I would send digital files to different people to letter and to color. And that's when I started doing the Mini Marvels comic strip for the bullpen bulletins page. 
And now, obviously, you just mentioned Mini Marvels. How did you formulate that concept, and who did you speak to to really get that going? Well, the editor in charge of the bullpen bulletins page, which was like a promotional page they stuck in all the comics, I don't know if they still do that anymore. I think they don't. But the editor in charge there, her name was Dina Sarfin, and she said, hey, so-and-so suggested I stick a comic strip in here. Would you want to draw it? And I said, yeah, absolutely. So I just started trying to come up with ideas, and I didn't kind of really know where to start from. I had doing the what-if strips from before, but I also wanted to be Charles Schultz because he was my hero. So I kind of did Peanuts version of many marvels and it was kind of my thought was well it's a what if it doesn't stop what if they were all a bunch of kids and it also made it easier to draw the characters to fit in the panels that's how they all came together and now at the time of starting this did you have any idea how big your mini marvel stuff would become not really i was just happy to keep doing it and i wanted to do as many as i could it lasted about a year before it was canceled and the comics performed on that page i wouldn't argue that it's actually ever gotten very big anyway it's still relatively small compared to what it could have been you know like if they had kept giving me work i'd have been happy with that and now being that this was a very humorous and very chibi for lack of a better word how much freedom did you have in kind of making fun of the marvel universe in many ways it was shockingly they gave me all the room in the world i expected to be told all the time you can't do this and you can't do that but they gave me pretty much free reign on that comic strip and they never really said no because it didn't really interfere with anything in continuity it was its own tiny little universe and i knew enough not to be super offensive so it all worked and now there were many characters with many running gags that were involved including hawkeye always complaining about being in captain america's shadow the three hulks red green and blue daredevil always facing the wrong way how did these running gags come about? We'll take these in order. The Hawkeye thing came from when I was a kid reading comic books. West Coast Avengers was a new comic book, and it was like a new team of Avengers led by Hawkeye. And that's when I saw Hawkeye is super cool. And I felt like as a reader, I was the only one who really appreciated how cool Hawkeye was. And at the time, my best friend in school, he was like a super popular kid. And he was very much like the Captain America of our school. And I kind of related Captain America to him and me to Hawkeye. And I kind of felt an inferiority complex there. So it was fun to play that all out. In the comic strip form. What was the next one? The Hulks? The Three Hulks. I had nothing to do with that. That was all Audrey Loeb, Jeff Loeb's daughter, was the writer of those. And they asked me if I wanted to draw the strip that she would write with these Hulk characters. So all the gags with those three Hulks in it were completely written by her. And they ended up being the most popular thing I ever worked on because it was a really high-selling book. It wasn't as obscure as all the other stuff I had done. So people keep coming up to me, and I always have to explain when they gush about how much they like the Hulk stuff. It's not really mine, but thanks. The Daredevil bit, I started off in a Civil War parody that was written by Mark Sumerak, and he wrote in the big face-off scene with both teams while I was drawing it. Kind of like an afterthought, I thought Daredevil facing the other way. And then my editor, Nate Cosby, said, every time you have an opportunity to draw Daredevil, I want you to make them face the other way. So that's how that became a recurring gag. And also another gag was the Spider-Man, where he was constantly in costume and using his powers, but was never discovered. That just seemed to be funny to me. I guess because after reading Spider-Man comics for 20 30 years you get used to well, how many people know his identity by now it just seemed absurd so I just decided to take that absurdity as far as I could and not even attempting to hide his identity and yet some people still can't tell the difference and there's no real consistency to it 
And now out of all of the gags that you had, as well as all the comics and the little strips that you worked on, do you have a particular favorite one that you worked on? The recurring gag where Hawkeye always brings up how he beat Iron Man the first time they met, even though Iron Man has really good armor, because Iron Man is really full of himself, and they all kind of consider Hawkeye to be not as cool because they have superpowers. And so Hawkeye's always saying, yeah, well, I beat Iron Man the first time I met him. I beat him up just with simple arrows. And now many of these miniature series and backup stories is what they're called were collected in trade paperbacks how do you feel that these works were actually collected and put into volumes of their own that was great actually i thought that was awesome it was validation because not everybody in marvel liked my work so there would be some people that would be battling on my behalf saying we should collect this put all his comics together in a trade paperback and they got a lot of resistance for a long time so when they finally did it i was really excited they allowed it And now for many of these works, you were the writer, the anchor, you did the penciling, as well as the lettering. How do you feel about holding so many different hats on a project? I liked it when I started. The approach was a humor comic strip approach. Like I said before, I grew up on newspaper comic strips, and those are very commonly the one-man show. You can do three or four panels all by yourself. And so when I was also trying to teach myself how to do it, I didn't want to rely on somebody else to team up with, because I've seen a lot of guys do that. Like, you know, I have a friend who's a writer, and I have another friend who's an artist, and they want to team up, and then one of them always drops the ball, and you see that a lot. So I just decided I wanted to try and do it all myself, and that way I don't have to wait for somebody else to help me. So it winds up a lot of work, especially when you're doing a full comic book, but the cartoony style makes it a little bit faster, and writing it myself makes it a little bit easier to letter, because I know exactly what I envision. It's cool. It's fun. And now, being that you held so many different hats, how did you go about learning how to do inking and coloring and lettering and that type of stuff? What was your learning process on that side of the comic? Again, it's a lot of self-teaching and practice, but mainly listening to the advice that I got from any of the professionals that were coming in and out of Marvel Comics at the time. What kind of tools do you use? How do you do this? What's your technique for that? I inked with just pens at first. And a lot of the guys in the office were saying, no, man, you got to use a brush. Your style lends itself to brush inking. So I switched over, and right away I knew, like, yeah, they're absolutely right. This works a lot better, and it made everything easier. It's listening to people, trying things out, experimenting, practicing. And now while working on this, you began to work on G-Man. How did yeah. G-Man all happen? Well, initially, these guys were starting a fanzine or a comic book magazine, something kind of like Wizard, I think. And they approached me about doing original content for their magazine. So I started drawing G-Man comic strips. And that was something I had developed when I was in college and high school. I had these characters and sketches and stuff, but nothing fully formed yet. So I thought, okay, I'm going to take those characters I had created. And I was doing the mini Marvel thing for a while. I thought, well, I'll just apply the mini Marvel concept to these other characters. Because in high school, G-Man was basically me. He was like a guy in high school. Now I'm going to turn him into a kid. So I had drawn three or four of these strips. And then that magazine never materialized. So I was sitting on this material for a while. And then a friend of mine spoke to Eric Larson and mentioned that I was a comic strip guy. And Eric Larson liked to put uh, comic strip features in the backup section of the Savage Dragon comic. So the two of us got to talking and he offered me page in the Savage Dragon. And so I did that for a few years and eventually that came. We're going to collect that, do a miniseries, and you should do another one. So that's the evolution of the G-Man process. 
And now being in Savage Dragon as a backup story, how do you feel that your work complemented the work of Savage Dragon? I don't know that it complemented really anything. Eric wanted to do stuff like the stuff that you grew up on when comics had multiple features in them. You have your main feature and then you have like a lot of backup stuff. So it never really had anything specifically to do with the Savage Dragon. So it's just this funny little comic strip. Although I did after a while, I tried my hardest to force a Dragon G-Man crossover because it's my favorite book. And so he had characters trapped in it this Dimension X area. I tried to get my character stranded in Dimension X in case he ever went back in and did something that he would be able to draw my characters, but I don't think he wanted to do that. I don't think he liked anybody trying to push him for something that he wasn't interested in doing. And now G-Man is aimed at a different demographic than Savage Dragon is aimed at. Definitely. Although at the time, when we first started, he was writing it for all age readers. There was a little girl, Dragon had a daughter, a stepdaughter. He even was formatted the book as a comic strip for maybe like half of the pages in it for a while. So he was really trying to do his best to appeal to young readers at the time. Now, yeah, he just went off the rails and he's just fully, absolute mature audiences only sort of a thing. But G-Man isn't a feature in it anymore anyway. And now, how did you first get your opportunity with G-Man in 2004 as a one-shot? That was just after accumulating enough backup strips in Savage Dragon and talking to Eric. Eric said, you should do a one-shot. Do like a story and we'll collect everything. And So it's just encouragement from him and the opportunity was something I couldn't say no to. It's something I always wanted to do. And now being that, I think this was your first full comic, how did you prepare mentally doing all these different parts of the comic? Well, I had actually done a couple of one-shots for Marvel before that with the mini Marvel stories. So I hadn't gone through that process before, but it's nice. It's a more ambitious thing than just doing a short comic strip and you get more space to work with and more opportunity to set things up and draw more ambitious scenes and write more ambitious stories. It was a lot of fun. It was challenging, but I loved it. And now how was the one-shot received by Image as well as by the fans? The people at Image were always very encouraging and supportive. And as far as the fans, everyone that I heard from that read it, they enjoyed it, but it didn't like the world on fire, didn't set any sales records or anything. And now in 2009, you came back to G-Man and you have been continuously working on G-Man. What prompted you to come back and create multiple story arcs with G-Man? I wanted to keep pushing and see if I could make it successful. And I enjoyed doing it. I had an opportunity. I didn't have any reason to not do it. And obviously you've been working on G-Man since high school and early college. How do you feel as you spend more time working on G-Man that the characters and the story evolve with you and your audience? I don't know. I don't really know that they've evolved that much because I just basically think what happens next, what happens next, and I try to figure it out, and I draw it. There's the three graphic novels, so it's not really a lot of material yet. I feel like I haven't had a chance yet for a lot of evolution to have even taken place. And the most recent projects, which is the G-Man Super Journal, which is a Diary of a Wimpy Kid format that's written and illustrated by G-Man. The first book we did with that was kind of a retelling of the origin, so it kind of actually, if anything, it was a reverse evolution. It was going back to the beginning, even before the beginning of what you'd seen before and telling that story. So, I don't know if you call it evolution or not. And now G-Man is a comic aimed at all ages. What made you want to produce a comic that is age-friendly to all people? I think that was just a very natural process, the way that all evolved. Going back to the beginning at Marvel with the mini-Marvels, in my head, I was just doing humor comic strips 
like I read growing up in the newspaper, my understanding was that was something that everybody read. Everyone who read a newspaper would read it. You know, my parents would read the funnies. The funnies was the only section of the newspaper I would read as a kid, but I thought everybody read it. My, my parents, my teachers, everybody knew who Charlie Brown was. So to me, it didn't seem like one specific audience. But once the mini marbles began to be published, the feedback I was getting from everybody was like, oh, it's great that there's finally something for kids. And I was like, well, yeah, there's something for kids, but you're clearly an adult telling me that you liked it. So I think that's just the way everyone's programmed now is to think of something it's either for kids or for adults. So I just kind of leaned into that all the way. And I thought, well, if there is this big vacuum, there's not that much material out there specifically geared for kids, then I would definitely like to be successful with that. And it was already the sort of thing I was doing anyway. I don't really have any ambition to get super mature or violent or tell stories about anything with this hypersexual or anything like that. So I just want to be funny and fun. And now in recent years, Image has done a few comics that are definitely aimed more towards children. Do you think that was one of the draws that Image was interested in with G-Man? I think Image is just kind of interested in anything that they think is different and that might work, you know? I can't speak for what their decision process is these days, but Image is like, yeah, we'll give you a shot. I can't say that G-Man is actually connected to the audience. I don't think it's actually found its audience, so I don't know. And now you mentioned something about the G-Man Super Journal Awesome Origins, I believe it's called. What made you want to go tell a story before and kind of have an origin story? And how did you go and utilize the Diary of a Wimpy Kid style? That was through talking with an editor from Andrews McNeil, and that's in the mass book market. Kids read a lot of books, like people that read comic books kind of think that there isn't anything kids are reading, but kids read a lot of comic book stuff. They're just getting it not in comic book shops. They're getting it at their school library or they're getting it at Barnes & Noble. You know, things like Bone and Amulet and all that stuff that's in bookstores. And Diary of a Wimpy Kid is another example. So the Diary of a Wimpy Kid format revolutionized the kid's book market. So everybody's trying to do their version of that, use that format to tell new stories. And my editor, Andrea Colvin, approached me and said, well, would you be interested in doing a key man thing, but in this sort of a format, would that interest you at all? And it did interest me. So it wasn't something I necessarily had a goal to do until my editor suggested it. And once she did, I leaned into it all the way. And now you just mentioned that kids are getting comic material, but not in comic book format in their schools. And you've been involved in some school presentation work. How did you get involved in that? Just from meeting teachers and librarians at comic book conventions, they're always looking for authors to come in and visit and talk to kids and explain how they make comics and run presentations and that sort of thing. And it's a good way to get the material in front of kids' faces and introduce them to characters. It's good marketing because otherwise these kids aren't walking into comic book shops to find G-Man, but now they're seeing it in their school library and they can order it online, they can get it through Amazon or Barnes & Noble, that sort of thing. And now G-Man has a very unique style and it's been characterized as Jack Kirby meets Charles Schultz. <laughs> That's a very flattering characterization. There's definitely huge influences on me, but it's a hybrid of a humor comic strip and a superhero adventure comic, so I'll take it. And now G-Man with the Jack Kirby meets Charles Schultz style has had three volumes so far and I believe the Super Journal. When can fans expect more stories and more comics to come out? Right now, I have no answer to that. I was working on a second Super Journal book and complications have arisen and it's now not certain what the future of that book will be. Hopefully things will work out and we'll see it someday, but I don't know when. And now you've worked on many Marvels as well as G-Man. What were the differences between those two works? for you as an artist, writer, 
colors than Inker? Mostly the writing, because with G-Man, these are new characters that I can't assume people are familiar with in any way, shape, or form. And with G-Man, I also had much more ambitious stories. They would last for five or six issues straight. So I, I had a lot more ability to create an architecture than a story with a beginning, a middle, and an end, where most of the mini Marvel stories were very short and had to weave as many gags into three or four pages as I could in a short amount of time. And a lot of that stuff was just kind of reliant on parody. Like, there's an assignment where somebody says, you know, I want you to do a parody on the Thor coming back from the dead sort of thing. So I was like, okay, we'll do that. And another guy said, do a World War Hulk story. World War Hulk is big right now. So I was okay. So I oriented something specifically with that. But with G-Man, I can't assume. So I have to kind of give it all the information and set everything up and tell like a story with characters you're meeting for the first time and then hope that you'll identify with them at some point across along the way. And now outside of Mini Marvel and G-Man, you've done some cover work for a few covers like The Walking Dead, Chew, you did a Deadpool cover, Hack and Slash, Warped, and many more. How do you get approached to do a variant cover or a cover for a comic? Mostly just somebody asked me, are you interested in doing this? And then I'll do it. Most of those image covers were for the image 20th anniversary, maybe four years ago. And Eric Stevenson approached me and asked me if I wanted to do variant covers for a bunch of different image comics. Like, he'd seen a lot of the cover recreations that had done his commissions that were based on the first Fantastic Four comic or the first Spider-Man comic and that sort of thing. And he said, I want you to do that with some of our image comics. So we did Savage Dragon number one, and Youngblood number one, Walking Dead number one. So that's how that came about. Eric thought it would be a cool thing for the 20th anniversary. And I think the only other one you mentioned was the Deadpool one. And I think they were doing a lot of variant covers. And one of the guys in the office that liked me asked me if I wanted to do it. I said yes, and that was that. And now when you work on a cover, how much free reign do you have and how much direction are you given with these titles? The Deadpool one had the most free range. All the image books, there were cover recreations. I knew I had to do my version of an already existing comic. So the composition and the characters was already in place. So I didn't have to come up with my own idea for it. So I guess the Deadpool one, I think they were doing a bunch of variants where there would be a single character standing on a pedestal. So I knew it was just going to be a single figure in Deadpool and I drew the guns as big as I could on them. And now you've also worked on the series Con Tales. Oh yeah, Tales from the Con. Tales from the Con. Yes. How did that come about? That came about the founder of the Emerald City Comic Con, Jim Demonacos, asked me if I'd be interested in working on a comic strip for Emerald City Comic Con's website. And I said, yeah. And he got uh, Brad Geiger on board to write them. And Brad Geiger is a brilliant cartoonist. It doesn't matter what format they're in. He does a comic strip called Evil Inc. So he just asked us if we wanted to do it. We were both on board. I had met Brad before, so we were friendly. And that was it. We just went for it. Did that for about two years, and they collected him each year into a couple of Tales from the Con collections and now the strip continues with the new artist because I got too busy with other things and Scott McMahon also known as Scoot is the artist on the strip now and it continues to be super fun week after week EmeraldCityComicCon.com and now outside of comics you've done some animation work how did you get involved in that field there's the animation at ChrisGComics.com the G-Man cartoons is that what you mean yes well that was just when I was trying to find my way and trying to figure out what I wanted to do that was always something I wanted to try and I thought that might help get G-Man on the map if I put some cartoons out so I just played around with some animation programs and I put those together and I've been wanting to get back to it for a long time but it's probably been over 10 years now since I made those and now we only scratched the surface with you there's so much to talk about and so little time but you've been involved in the industry for about 15 years now what advice can you give to people who want to draw and write comics 
you know, I could use some advice of my own, but I think it boils down to get really good at what you're doing. I think a lot of people I run into, they're always looking to figure out how they can get hired by somebody and they don't have any work to show. These days, you create your own characters, write your own stories, make your own comics, because if you wait for Marvel Comics to hire you for your first job, that's probably not going to happen. So just look for opportunities wherever they are, get on the social media, create your own website, do digital comics, web comics, all that sort of thing that takes all the printing overhead out of the equation and make your own things. And then finally, before we go, do you have anything you'd like to promote? Facebook, website, sketches for sale on your website, Twitter, G-Man Books for Sale, con appearances? Con appearances are always at my website, ChrisGComics.com, as well as everything G-Man oriented. And I sell sketch cards at ChrisGComics.com every day. There's new ones posted. They're pretty cheap, so check them out. And I started a new website, MiniMarvelArt.com, where I'm selling larger sketches every day and taking commissions. So you can find me at ChrisGComics.com. You can find me on Facebook. You can find me on Twitter. As always, thank you for listening to this week's episode of the podcast. And we can be found on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitch Radio, and anywhere else where you listen to your podcasts. And while you wait for next week's episode, you can definitely check us out at popanimecomics.com for articles relating to anime comics and pop culture, as well as give us a follow on Twitter at popanimecomics. Check out our Instagram, popanimecomics. Check out our Facebook page, popanimecomics. Also, we have a pro wrestling t-shirt shop up that's pop anime comics on pro wrestling tees.com so definitely buy a shirt if you're interested in supporting this podcast and the website and until next week everybody have a wonderful week